thank you so, so much for taking the time to join us, to be here today. Welcome to this very special episode of Bookshelfy, brought to you from the Women's Prize live in London's Bedford Square Gardens in front of a wonderful live audience. Can we hear it one more time? With thanks to Baileys, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Vic Hope and I'm your host for season six of Bookshelfie, the podcast that asks women with lives as inspiring as any fiction to share the five books by women that have shaped them. Join me and my incredible guests as we talk about the books you'll be adding to your 2023 reading list. Welcome to a very special live episode of Bookshelfie. And I am absolutely delighted to be joined on stage by a trailblazer, a powerhouse, Alex Scott, MVE, who is a former professional footballer, presenter, a broadcaster, the former Arsenal captain and England centurion. Thank you. Who is one of the nation's most beloved presenters. <laughs> honestly, honestly, it's true though. Thank you. In 2021, Alex began her new role as host of BBC's Football Focus, the first permanent female host in its 47-year history. And earlier this week, she was the co-host of UNICEF Soccer Aid and also lends her support to the domestic abuse charity Refuge. In 2022, Alex published her best-selling memoir, How Not To Be Strong, a memoir in which she candidly shares the lessons and challenges that have shaped her. Please welcome to the podcast, Alex Scott. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Vic. Alex, I remember you telling me about your book Mm -hmm. and we were at an event and you said it's something that resonates for a lot of people and I hadn't read it yet and literally as those words left your mouth mm-hmm. a man came up to us and wanted to talk to you about it and he was like this is something that really helped me it really hit me hard how does it feel putting pen to paper and then it having that effect to be honest when I wrote the book I wasn't thinking about anyone else or the impact that it would have like most of the things that I've done actually I think if that's was the intention going into it, then maybe you wouldn't have got the raw honest because you're thinking about other people and their thoughts on the book. I just knew I needed to offload a lot of stuff that I'd been hiding and felt shameful about. And I'd been on a journey through therapy and I was ready to share it and be like, I'm not hiding Mm -hmm. who I am or what I've been through in my life anymore because I'm ready for a next chapter. And also, you know, a big story in it is obviously my mum. I wanted her to be able to read it and see how special she was and is to me because she's just like my superhero is my mum. But yeah, I've obviously finished it. And one of the final chapters is that letter to your mum. You made me cry, mate. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's a lot, but it is. It's a a book that shows so many facets of you. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I had no idea. Yeah. um, It is exceptionally raw. Have you always wanted to to write? Have you thought that your story was one that you wanted to tell? No. Like that? I think if I go back to that girl in the east end of London on a council estate, at the end of my road was a football cage, concrete football cage, and it was nothing. I would never have thought that one day I'd be here writing a book. Sunday Times bestseller. um, (laughs) And like you said, for people to come up to me in the street and tell me how powerful it is that it's impacted their lives. Like, it doesn't... I I don't think it's still sunk in. Well, what is your relationship like with books? Have you Mm -hmm. always been a reader? 
Yes. I think it's always been because it was a place to escape for me. You get lost. It allows you to dream of something bigger than maybe the environment that you're in. So I felt a book, to pick up any kind of book, was always my go-to. My book, my reading choice has developed, I would say, over the years in terms of what I look for in a book now. I suppose it depends what mindset you're in. Sometimes you just totally want to escape with a love story or a crime novel. Or actually, I pick up a book and I'm like, what can I learn from this? What nuggets am I going to take to help me improve my self-development as a person? Yeah. You know what? Everyone deserves escape and there is no... But that's why we're all here. That's why we're, you know, throwing a literature party because we love it. We need it. We yeah. deserve it. And for someone as busy as yourself, I can imagine that getting lost on the pages of the book is, is a real relief sometimes. It really is. Like, say tomorrow, I've got some downtime, so I'm going away for a bit. And reading, that allows me to switch off from the hectic lifestyle and the work environment. And like you said, just escape and allow your thoughts to not wander to work or what's next, but actually just be present and lost in that current story. Well, you've brought five books today that you feel are important to you, that have shaped you, that spoke to you. So let's get straight into it. Your first bookshelf book today is The Beautiful, The Brilliant, Everything I Know About Love (laughs) by Dolly Alderton. The heartwarming memoir and also now hit TV show follows Dolly from childhood to adulthood as she navigates heartbreak, humiliations, and most importantly, the female friendships that hold it all together. That is the love. It's full of wit, it's full of heart and humour. And it's a book to just press into the hands of every woman who has ever been there or is about to find themselves taking that first step towards their rest of their lives. Why did you love it? Sure, this was a book that surprised me. I love when people recommend things to me. And I remember a friend saying, Alex, you'd really love this book. You'll connect with it. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And what I found myself, apart from being lost in it, was I feel like I could hear myself, the way Dolly writes and her stories of London. Like, I had similar paths or where she would go and hang out with her friends. And like you said, that link between other female friendship groups. And I just heard so many of what she was writing within myself and my own stories. And it's like, you know, when you're reading something, you can just hear yourself within it and I always loved how and do how Dolly writes I think it's just incredible there's such an easy read and so many bits that you're like yep that happened in my life like one minute you're emotional and then the next minute you're reading the other page and you're bursting out laughing it's probably the most shared book in my girls whatsapp group is it oh yeah (laughs) like my female friends we just we could relate to so many things that she writes about and she writes about them in a way that is so zeitgeisty and so funny and one of the things that I always find stands out is drawing from these mistakes we all make them we make so many mistakes for our lives what are the mistakes that have been overall positive for you that you've learned from that you've grown from I think that's the thing like sometimes we can look at mistakes as such a negative where I've always been of the mindset okay, this has happened, but what can I take and what can I learn from it to be better? So there's been so many situations, say, within jobs or actually on a path to get somewhere, and I'm like, okay, this didn't happen, why? I need to go away, and instead of maybe pointing fingers and blaming other people, it's like, well, what did I do in that moment, and what do I need to be better? So in terms of saying, like, mistakes and looking at it as a negative, I always flip it to the positive side of things. You said you you relate to this book... And you speak, you know, very openly in your novel about your upbringing, yeah. about growing up in Aberfeldy. And, of course, Alderton's childhood is it's very different. You know, she grew up in this suburb of Stanmore. She had access to private education. How did you find your experience differed? You know, did this make her narrative any less 
relatable. Yeah. No, because actually my best friend, it's, we came together when we were 13, uh, Regan, and Regan went to private school. So we've totally opposite lives, but football through sport brought us together. And our friendship has always been so beautiful because we're so different. So I suppose within Dolly's upbringing, that's what I saw with Regan. Like I was the one that took Regan on her first ever night bus on actual on the tube, you know, because she's come from a family <laughs> that drove her to football, took her everywhere. Like you said, she went to like Bancroft school and everything was just great in her world. But actually, like we know, everything is not perfect. So like she came into my world and actually took so many learnings and our friendship has just always been so beautiful. Those learnings do so often come back to love and I don't just mean romantic yeah. love. You do have a chapter in your book about romantic love but also the love of friends, the love yes. of your family, those who've been there for you, your peers even. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the influence of love in, in your life, in, in all its types. What are the, the great loves of your life, Alex? Well, the one that screams out to me is my mum. Yeah. You know, there's so many topics that I speak about, like you said about the letter and finding out over the last couple of years that my mum's got MS. So this is a new journey that we're on that I'm now having to educate myself so I can help my mum in this field. But obviously when we were younger with the whole domestic violence and stuff, it's like we had to show love in a completely different way because we were such in a controlled environment that you couldn't openly hug or give love. But we knew that was always there. But then through the book and over the last couple of years, it's actually been able to strip all of that back and learn how to communicate mm. in a way that now I can show love in the normal sorts of way. But as you said, through friendships that I've always had that. It's mad because I speak about my dog in the book, yeah. like the love that Ella. I had from my little boxer, <laughs> Ella, named after Rihanna's song, Umbrella, Ella. Um, <laughs> So there's so many different forms. And actually what I've loved over the last couple of years is now I've worked on myself is allowing new people to come into my life and instantly have that love in the form of friendships or actually being open to now love again. Because in the book, I speak about that heartbreak, that first love, that deep love that you all want. And, but then it ended in heartbreak. But now you work through that and I'm, I'm open to allowing that in again. In situations of trauma, when there has been something that has restricted you from being able to receive love and also being able to give love, yeah. it is a, a huge journey to, to find that again, yes. um, to allow yourself that again. What have you learned about learning how to love? And I don't mean just other people, I also mean yourself. Yeah, that's been a journey, and I think I'm still on that, of appreciating myself and applauding myself to where I've got to and what I've achieved so far. And I think this year, it's why I'm going away for the next couple of weeks to be able to like, I don't want to look back and have regrets of, you know, I've worked so hard and I keep working because I suppose it's that I've always had that survival instinct that I need to keep going. I don't want to look back and be like, well, what was it all for? Where did, where were the happy moments in all of that? So I think that's the next chapter in my life to allow myself to be like, okay, you've, you've done all right, Al. Enjoy the moments. That search for, for selfhood, I guess, and identity, it's at the heart of mm -hmm. your book and also of Dolly's. Is it something that you feel like you've found personally? Did, did you even, as you're writing, you know, getting these thoughts onto the page, like I know from journaling every uh -huh. morning, sometimes things that feel jumbled all of a sudden feel less insurmountable. Yeah. Does that search continue via the prism of you writing? I suppose so, like being able to write the book, I, well, I say write, I was on the laptop typing away. It just felt like Vic, literally it was just all coming off. Like it was so, 
I would say easy because it was like I already knew it was all there and it was like a weight off my shoulder. And so when the book, the paper book is out today, it's like it's freeing and it's freeing for other people to now know every parts of me that if I'm not responding on phone, there's a reason, you know, I'm pulling away and those people have to keep tapping on at me because I run from certain things because it's all too much. So it was an eye opener for a lot of people that are super close to me. I really like this idea that it was been quite a freeing experience yes. to write this book. It's been an experience in, in becoming, which yes. takes us on to your second bookshelfy book, which is Becoming by yeah. Michelle Obama, an intimate, powerful and inspiring memoir by the former First Lady of the United States. We follow Michelle from her childhood in the south side of Chicago through her years as an executive, balancing the demands of motherhood and work to her years at the White House. This is the deeply personal reckoning of a woman who has steadily defied expectations and whose story inspires us to do the same. I mean, yeah. where do you even start? Where do you start? What a woman. What was the impact of this book on you? Just the realness and the rawness. And I think we're at a stage in life that that's what you connect with always. When you hear someone's honest, raw accounts and you know they're not hiding anything, and to applaud and see what she's been through, the work that she's put in to get to where she is, you can do nothing but applaud and give mm. her flowers and be like, this is just an incredible, inspiring woman that I know that I can learn from and always take things from. What did you feel you learnt from her? Just once again, like it's not like we already knew her work ethic. I think how she always conducts herself, the love, how she treats people, like famous quote, you know, when they go low, we go high. It's how you present yourself in certain situations that she always shows up. She's never shy to hide away from anything. And it's like that inspiration that no matter what is thrown at you, you're going to be all right. Yeah. You can make it through. It's just how you look at certain situations. I remember seeing her on her book tour for Becoming. Did you see it? Oh, my gosh. No way, I missed it. She sold out the O2. She's like a rock star. I know. It was it's like, like a, a movie star. in itself, right? Oh, my gosh. And she, <laughs> she, the way she talked, we were all just the whole row, everyone around me that I could see, we were all crying. <laughs> like, it meant the world to see this woman, to see this black woman. Yeah. Who was conducting herself in this way, who was telling her story and telling it on her own terms. Yes. You know, as someone who is no stranger to being scrutinized and having your words often taken out of context mm. and used as ammunition against you yeah. in the press, how important is it to you to be able to tell your truth and, and tell your story in your own terms? Yeah, and I think what we get from Michelle is as well is to always be your true authentic self. And I think that's the thing that I've had to fight and struggle with in broadcasting because I'm from the East End of London, not privately educated, and we've always had a picture of what people should be on the screen. So then when I came through and the comments that I was getting about my accent and certain things like that, I've always stayed true to myself. I'm like, well, this is a representation of where I've come from mm -hmm. and who I am. Why should I change that? Because your perception of life is just so limited in this small pocket. And and Michelle does exactly the same. It is the maddest thing when you think about it that anyone would have a problem with your accent yeah. when <laughs> the thing that you're there to do is to speak about something that you know inside out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does it feel when you... I mean, I, I've, I've seen the tweets in the past and yeah. you're very, very well put together, well articulated responses to them. Mm -hmm. How has it felt when you have had to, you felt the need to respond 
to what people... It takes me a lot to get yeah. to that moment of responding. So if we take the Olympics, when I responded, there was a tweet from Lord Digby-Jones saying about my accent and ruining the BBC presentation of that. There'd already been every day the hatred and the same comments. And it was just that night, me seeing that, I was like at the stage where I'm at breaking point. Like, I've had enough, I'm going to respond. And I remember sitting in my apartment in Manchester because we were up there for the whole Olympics, so they put us in these rooms. And I'm like, no, like, why am I hiding? And why am I allowing this to go on? And so, like you said, I wrote a response and just... I think the next day woke up to a response of thousands and thousands of people feeling the same way, that the treatment that they'd had in their lives. And I'm like whoa, you know, it isn't just me. Same with the book. It wasn't just me going through this story, the impact it has on other people. And it just showed, once again, that, you know, the representation of the UK and that small-minded person is not a represent representation of the whole of the UK. There are a lot more people out there supporting you. They just don't maybe shout it as loud. Or yeah, we're so English, spaces. aren't we? Yeah. Like in America, like, you go, girl, you do yeah. this. But um, the people that come up to me in the street, even being here, you know, today, the impact that it's had on their daughters and what I'm doing, that's the reason I've always kept going. Yeah. Michelle talks in her book about being first lady and being productive and fighting for what she believes in, but also not overstepping her bounds because that is quite a restrictive role like yeah. you're the first lady of the united states there's only so much you can say mm -hmm. have you ever felt bound by your career or bound by um your responsibilities being on a, you know having a certain platform yeah no and i think sometimes maybe that's not this got me into trouble but i'm so raw and real that if there's a situation if we go back to the men's world cup in qatar wearing the one love armband mm -hmm. It wasn't me doing that or nothing about it was planned or staged. It literally happened within a minute because I was so full of emotion and hurt with everything that was going on. It was my way of being like, I'm going to show support and solidarity and be with everyone in this moment. Was I allowed to do that? That's actually against BBC rules. Obviously, I got a telling off afterwards because you can't do that. But there's certain moments that I know with a fire and a passion within me, I have to say something because it's what I stand for. And when there is a negative reaction, when there are trolls, how do yeah. you overcome that? How do you brush it off? With the stuff in the World Cup, it was actually hard because I suppose I'm such this person where everything comes from love or wanting to do right by people. The fact that that one armband had divided and created so much hate and so much love, I was so confused by it when actually all we're trying to do in that moment is show is everyone has a place in this world and everyone should be accepted for who they are. And then so it took me a while to even get over that. I would say not until February. I, I run away like I do in certain situations. As soon as the World Cup ended, I was like, I just need to escape life, which I did. And it's not until I came back to the UK and people were telling me once again the impact it had on them and what that moment did for them that I started to understand the importance of that moment. It's funny, isn't it? It's in switching off for it, which is a healthy thing, because having boundaries is healthy. Like, I, I don't look at anything. I don't look at any yeah. comments. I don't know Nothing what people are saying. And it means I don't know the bad stuff, but I also don't know the good stuff. Yeah. Like, I'll just uh -huh. never know, because I'm almost too scared, and I don't know if that's necessarily mm -hmm. the best approach. But I guess it's protecting your energy, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. And I think because of the environment we're in, 
you are is like a lot of take from people but um, for me I've always had that connection with fans mm -hmm. it's how I started it's how they got to know me so I've never wanted the trolls to win and hide and just run away when like you said before there's all this love and appreciation for me and I absolutely love that I was that young girl who had role models growing up and you know so to be so close and be able to show them I'm here I'm not hiding is everything to me well talking of being an inspiration and, and a role model for, for young girls mm -hmm. paving the way um, you told us that it was inspiring to read of Michelle's outreach yes. to schoolgirls in the UK. You announced that all the proceeds from your book will go towards Refuge, yeah. which is the largest domestic abuse organisation in the UK. And in your statement, you said that this decision just came to you in a distinct moment yeah. while you're appearing on BBC Women's Hour. Can you tell us about that realisation? Yeah, like I said, writing the book, I wasn't thinking about either the bigger picture or will it be a Sunday Times bestseller or I just wrote the book. And there was a moment as well because of the stuff about my childhood and my dad. My dad had come out and done a story to say that it didn't happen, which it broke me. Mm -hmm. It totally broke me. The fact that I have no hatred towards my dad and what it actually put us through, that I actually... It's, it's weird going through it, but it, it, like you said, it sparked this sadness within me that he was able to hurt my mum in that moment by denying it and not even acknowledging and saying sorry to us or moving forward. Look, that's the person I was then. Here I am now. Not that I want a relationship with him or anything, but just the acknowledgement. Um, so, yeah, that moment broke me and it was... I was going live on Women's Hour and like you said, it was just this emotion that I don't want anything from the book. That wasn't the reason to make profit or anything, but what I can do with it now is help other women who have been through that situation. Thank you. Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Bailey's is the perfect adult treat, whether shaken in a cocktail, over ice cream or paired with your favourite book. Check out baileys.com for our favourite Bailey's recipes. And we will continue to uplift women mm -hmm. as we talk about your third book, which is A History of the World in 21 Women by Jenny Murray. Britain has traditionally been defined by men, whether yes. it is through its conflict, its conquest, its monarchs. In this unique history, Jenny Murray tells the stories of 21 women who refused to bow to the established laws of society and whose lives embodied hope and change. Forgotten visionaries, great artists and trailblazing politicians who all pushed boundaries and revolutionised our world. How can we pick this? Oh. Well, everything, how you just described that, I feel like that's the stuff I get so inspired by and want to continue to achieve and achieve and keep going. You know, when you read stories of other women and what they have been through and what they've had to fight to make place for other women... And that's what I love. Like, yes, I've had so many firsts, BBC first this and first that. I never set out to be the first. What I did set out to do is allow the doors to be open for other people to come through. And all the women in that book have paved the way and done the same for us to be here now and made change in the world. And 
also, crucially, history is so often written mm -hmm. by those in power. Yes. So the narrative is not, I mean, it's not a science, is it? It's not necessarily <laughs> right. factual. It's skewed to fit the story that they want to um, uh, put out into the world. Women's football yes. is famously undervalued. <laughs> yeah. um, and you've been a huge part of the change that we've seen. I mean, last summer. Oh, what last a summer. Last summer. <laughs> oh, that was yes, from the like I want to burst out in Sweet Caroline. <laughs> Those feelings, and we were just talking actually before we came on stage about like I sometimes get scared that you'll have those moments and people will think that's enough and then they'll forget about it and yeah. it will just be a flash in the pan or it'll be swept under the carpet. How is that different? That moment is not happening anymore. We've finally reached a stage where everyone can see and connect with every single lioness and see that these are amazing people fighting to take the sport to the next level. And, you know, Vic, people ask me, do I wish I was part of it now? And I'm like, oh my gosh, no. Like, I absolutely love that I've been a part of the journey to help it get to where it is. And I'm like that proud sister now, like crying live when they're lifting the trophy because we know what we've done to get it to this moment. And I think commercially, everything around it, there's no one that can make any excuses anymore that there's not a place for women's football because what we witnessed last summer, we saw it all. I remember being on air on Radio 1 when it was taking place, when the final was happening. So we had a little studio, <laughs> a, a little monitor up in the studio mm -hmm. so we could watch what was happening. And we was just so excited in that studio. And we were getting these messages in from little girls Dang. and from their parents saying, like, my daughter really wants to be a part of this team mm -hmm. she really wants to play football we've literally just enrolled her in a football club now she's like that she's ready she's inspired that's what it's all about and you say you know people say do you want to be a part of it now but you are yeah, but you're telling the stories, you're there. Exactly, and totally in a different role. That's why I love the development that I've gone from working in the Arsenal laundry, scrubbing the men's kit, to them going to America to play professional, playing in an Olympics, a World Cup. You know, I've had all those moments, and like anything in life, it's other time for other people to shine, and you applaud them when they do, and it's their turn to take the game to the next level. And I'm lucky that, you know, I transitioned, and like you said, I'm able to tell the stories mm. and still show the emotion of what it actually means. Take yourself back to little Alex Scott in yeah. the cages in East London, the age of eight. Mm -hmm. If you had seen a team of lionesses do what they did last summer, how would that have made you feel? It, it would make me feel that I know there's a place for me, where when I was playing, I didn't have one female football role model to look up to. It was all the men. And the only one there was was Mia Hamm, who was the other side of the world in America. She was like this superstar, but no one saw her. We only heard of her. So for now to be able to go out and buy an England kit and have the lionesses' names of your favourite player, that's where we are at the moment. You know, Leah Williamson is one of my closest friends. And to see just before last summer when we went out, then people would come up to me and not even know Leah. It's the opposite way now. Everyone is just running up to Leah. Oh, my God, Leah, we're on a photo. Can I have an autograph? And like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, here we are. Here we are. And it is about supporting one another, mm -hmm. raising one another's voices and redefining that narrative, yeah. pivoting it, um, which is what this book, A History of the World and 21 Women, does. Was there any story in particular that inspired you when reading this book? Can you tell us about the women you identified with? 
Well, I think what is so beautiful about the book is there's so many different characters in their female icons to like, you've got your Madonnas and what she did and everything that she had to fight for, her different personalities to be able to keep evolving as a person, which I feel is so crucial across any walks of life. Because I feel I'm that person, once I know I'm in a comfort zone, then that's the worst place to be. I'm always like, what next? What what skill do I need to go and learn? How can I get better? And I think Madonna's story, actually in the book, shows that. Then you've got other people like Joan of Arc and everything, what she does, it was absolutely incredible. And it's told in such a way that you can just pick things and relate to it and be like, wow, I didn't know that much or that detail. And how would you like to be remembered? Oh, that's a tough one, Vic. Um, Because you know what? Further down the line, there'll be another version of the book. And, you know, say say they're writing about you in it. How would you like to be remembered? I think everyone that knows me in my life would know that I am the kindest human being and shows them nothing but unconditional love but not in the conventional way I'm that way (laughs) they know that I love them immensely so yeah I think just my characteristics as a person I like that you know there's all these achievements all these accolades but the way I like to be remembered is someone who gave love yes and and it's true that's more it's 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 more important or it's all intertwined it's all one of the Mm -hmm. same that this is this is the person yeah like the accolades and that's all nice like it doesn't sink in when people roll off the stuff, and it's actually weird because at the back of the book was the first time yeah. that I wrote every single achievement I'm writing. I was like, oh my good, wow, like what? I did that. Yeah, like, you did it does that, it, Alex. yeah. <laughs> but I suppose I think the moment I sit there and be like, wow, I've achieved this, I've achieved that, I will stop and we are not there. There's so much more that I want to see and travel and learn mm. from the world. Let's talk about your fourth book, yeah. which is Manifest by Roxy mm. Nafusi. Potentially helpful for having lots more that you want to see <laughs> yeah. and do in the world. Manifest it. Written and narrated by self-development coach and queen of manifesting, Roxy Nafusi. This is a guide for anyone wanting to feel more empowered in their lives. It sets out seven steps to understand the true art of manifestation and create the life of your dreams. Mm-hmm. You're a fan of manifesting and, and, and mindset is, is so important to you, right? Yeah, I've always been really spiritual, really listened to what's going on around me, energies. And it's like been a journey for me, learning more about it and just being more aware and open. And I think when this book came out, I think we're at a stage where it could be seen as a buzzword. Yeah. But I think what she's managed to do in the book is strip all that back and being like, No, I can actually supply tools to help people, just like you said, be empowered in certain situations and to deal with certain situations differently if you're just able to shift your mindsets in different way. And I think she makes it so simple and easy to follow that it's for absolutely everyone and can change your perception of the buzzword, oh, I'm going to go manifest and something's going to be at the end of my road by the end of the night. It's not about that. It's about helping you on steps in certain situations. I know Roxy has spoken about her journey to writing this book. Mm -hmm. Um, She'd been in quite a dark place and it was about building in herself the person that she wanted to be in the world rather than just like magically waving a wand and yeah, that and there there's a the thing that you want. <laughs> yeah. um, I know you've been on a journey yeah. with, with your mindset, with finding the positive, with finding the light when it's been dark. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What are you manifesting? What am I manifesting? I think, like I said, it's this next chapter for me is the happy moments mm. and staying more in the light and being a lot a present, not always worrying about the next and rushing to get there. Actually enjoying the moments and being around the people that love me the most. Because I feel like through football, I was always away in the important moments and missing sacrifice, which my family or anything would never change. And then I transition straight into TV and it's the same. I just keep going and keep going. So I think manifesting at the moment is just being the present and being happy and content with where I am at the moment. Are there any stages of manifestation that you struggle with that you find a little more difficult? Yeah, I would say for some, when you think about meditating, I find my brain hard to just sit there and switch off. Mm. But actually, I know going for a walk for me is actually the same thing. So I go for a walk for about an hour, obviously with the sunshine, it helps. Oh, and nice. in those moments, I tell you, Vic, so many thoughts come flooding in of what I want to do next or what I need to do or just new thoughts and imagining things all in just a walk. So I know sometimes you don't have to sit there and close your eyes and be still for 10 minutes. You can find it in so many different ways. It's a, a really simple thing. Like, it sounds so obvious. Yeah. But it wasn't until the pandemic and we were allowed those one state-sanctioned walks a day, mm -hmm. I realised how much I needed it. Yes. It needed to be in nature, needed to breathe deeply, to be outside, to take in my surroundings and to have that space yeah. and that time to just think. Mm -hmm. uh, when you are in a, a bad headspace... Is that what gets you out of it? What yes. sort of techniques do you have? I think for me, travel has always been a big thing for me. So I know that I've always, what I've taken from nature. So I do like mad trips. Like I've been to Cambodia hiking, Peru last year hiking, because I know I come back so energised and seeing life in a different way. Like I absolutely love it. I managed to travel to Namibia last year. I went to, with UNICEF and it's trips like that that just keep me so grounded and keep me so humbled and seeing life and what this world is all about and I absolutely love it. I know you're a fan, um, as, as am I, of a, a solo trip. Yeah. Of like knowing that you are okay on your own. Yeah. That solitude brings you such peace. There's a freedom in it. I love the feeling of not having to articulate. So if I get off mm -hmm. at the plane and I see something I've never seen before because I've never been there before, I don't have to even say wow mm -hmm. because there's no one around me. I can yeah. just internalise that feeling and it is truly being it present. Is. Have you always been OK with your own company or is it something you've had to learn? No, I think I've always been OK with my own company. What I need to work better on is allowing other people right. to come into my company and not having walls up being more free and open to them. But I think the self-travel part, what I love about that is I bring new people into my life, which I always love. So when I went to Peru, I met a group of women straight away. They come up to me on the first night in the hotel, didn't know about my background. Someone else in the hotel did until they came over and asked for an autograph. And they're like, why, what do you do? Like, I love that element of just people not knowing anything and taking me from who I am mm -hmm. and finding out the realness. And yeah, they're from Chile. I think one was from Australia. And just learning about other people's lives and their journey, that's why I go on solo trips. Your book talks about mental strength. Mm -hmm. It is underpinning every single challenge that you've overcome and every single endeavour that you've undertaken. Mm -hmm. A part of which is learning not to feel shame about experiencing sadness and it's learning to be vulnerable mm -hmm. how not to be strong um what has been your journey with 
reaching this understanding and this sort of acceptance? It's been a path that over the last couple of years through therapy that I've started to understand that I think, you know, in certain instances, we've always seen that you have to be this strong woman, the environment, obviously the environment that I grew up in, showing strength. If you're sad, unhappy or crying or anything, it's this big, massive weakness. So what I've had to do is be able to strip all of that back and actually showing vulnerability is not a weakness. It can actually be a, a massive strength. And it is for me at this moment in time because it's allowing people to see different layers of me that they've not seen. It's time to talk about your fifth and final book, Shelfie Pick which is Untamed. This book. Yeah, by Glennon Doyle. You know what, I was reading it like literally before I read your book. Really? And then you started talking about Abby in it and I was like, surely it's not the same Abby. Exactly. Oh, it's Glennon's Abby. Oh, and it was like two worlds colliding. <laughs> yeah. and then you started talking about Glennon Doyle's Untamed yeah. in the book. Um, it got all meta, but I mean, if anyone hasn't read it, it's, yeah, it it's really book. important. It's really special. The tagline of this book is stop pleasing, start living. And that is exactly what New York Times bestselling author and activist Glennon Doyle sets out to help her readers to do. This is a blend of memoir and also personal development. It's a guide. It's packed full of energizing advice on how to overcome conformity and embrace your best life. Yes. What about this book do you think caters to you, to women in particular? The not being scared to start over or start afresh, or being like the mindset of not suppose it doesn't work out, but what if it does, mm -hmm. and jumping into that. And how she explains, like you said, it's that both stages of sharing her personal life and her struggles to actually her development to get to those next chapters. There's so much in it. It's such a page turner, you never want to put it down. And you talk about lockdown. It's actually, I met a friend on a walk that, you know, it brought the community together, especially from where I am, because then I was managing to go out and see different parts of the area I'd never seen. And then this friend is like one of my closest friends in my life now, and it's just from lockdown. And she was reading the book and mm. she was like, this is so you in every form. Like, you re will really take so much from the book. And she was like, one night, she was like, well, it's weird. Like, she didn't really know who I was or my background within football as well. And she was like, well, I've got to a chapter about football and this girl, she was like, you really just need to read it. And then so that's when I was reading. I was like, oh, my gosh, she's talking about Abby Wambach, who I played against so many times and actually am friends of Abby. But like through all books, you never know someone's true story until you get to that moment and their love and how how they come together is one of the most beautiful things ever. That tagline, stop pleasing, start living, resonated as a people pleaser. People Are you a pleaser. people pleaser? And the, yes. Talk to me about the guilt that is so tied up in people pleasing. I think you just said it there. It's the guilt of me always feeling like if I don't do something for someone, I've let them down or I'm going to hurt them. But in the process, I'm stripping myself of my own energies and what I want to do. So it's something that I still need to work on. Yeah, it's, it's I'm always so worried about disappointing others. And yeah. the truth is that disappointment will either not exist at all or it'll be for a millisecond mm -hmm. as opposed to the discomfort that it might have caused me to, to make that to decision. To do that, yeah. yeah. Um, Glennon speaks about her experience being a mum and yes. how that impacted her self-perception. We have heard about your mum, you write about your mum in the memoir, about her strength, about her resilience, yes. about her love and about her pain yeah. as well. 
in Untamed, I think there's a, there's a quote that really stood out to me, is that we start being a good mother when we stop being yeah. an obedient daughter. Mm. And I hadn't even thought about yeah. it and about that, how complex that relationship can be. And do you know what, it's certain taglines like yeah. that, that when you read the book, you're just like, wow. Yeah. It like takes you to a thought process that simplifies it so much. And you're like, I never thought about it that way. Did it change your perception of motherhood reading it? I think for me and how I've viewed my mum, I've always seen her. She doesn't see herself that way. And I think because I went travelling, I was in different environments from just being in the East End of London, I can see all of the different facets to her that she can't see. So I feel like it's always been me trying to grab that out of her and show her the sunshine within herself. So I think it's been that different kind of relationship. Not me mothering her, but trying to show her what she really is. And we are always going to have different lives to our mothers. Yes. Even though sometimes that's a really hard thing to accept. Mm -hmm. we, we focus on the ways in which we're different and think, oh God, is that okay? Of course it's okay. Yeah. It's how it's going to have to it be. Um, another part of this book that is huge is, is taking risks, yeah. is, is making changes in your life, even though they seem really, really scary, something that you're no stranger to, mm -hmm. moving from an international football career to broadcasting. Yeah. How was that transition for you? <laughs> it's weird, because my first thing would be to say it was easy, but obviously it wasn't because the amount of hard work that went into that, but I say easy because I had planned for it Vic and I had worked so hard and I think sometimes people just see the end process and yeah. be like oh look you were given that opportunity you just ended up here but I lived in America for three years I came back in 2012 and I was already doing stuff then in America and knowing that I had such a passion of like this I think my passions always come from learning from other people and how do I do that you have conversation so interviewing people was me learning and me being like, tell me about your life because I want to learn. So I knew that I was so passionate about that. And so when I came back and re-signed for Arsenal after the Olympics, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like anything in my life, I'm going to do it the right way and I'm going to work hard. So whilst I was still playing for Arsenal, I did a media degree. It's like I almost saw into the future. Mm -hmm. I knew what was going to happen, that people would be judging me and being like, oh, she's just there box ticking and all of this. And I'm like, no one will ever can say anything about me because I know that I've studied, I've worked, I did work placements. That I was running from training to go and do London Live, a TV show that no one even see. It was in the background. But this was all giving me the tools and the experience that when I did finally work Sky and BBC, like I'd had a back catalogue that no one even knew about. And making that decision to retire from football, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, I can't imagine it's an easy one. I did the TV or is show. It? <laughs> yeah, I did the TV show Bear Grylls in 2016. And in that moment, I remember it's so cheesy sitting, we had to keep the fire alight at night. We're on a night watch with the fire and just looking into the stars. We were in South Africa and being like, I am ready for the next chapter of my life. I'm ready to leave football. And it's when I came back then, I retired from the England team. And then a couple of months later, I was like, yep. Yeah, I'm ready to move on. And the, I suppose the scary part was that I had no TV contracts. There was no certainty of whether I was even going to do it. But I knew in that moment that mentally I was ready to move on from football and I had to listen to that. There was a two-year contract on the table for me, Arsenal waiting for me mm. to sign. But I was like, I can't do it. Being sure enough to say, actually, no, thank you. Uh -huh. It's been amazing. 
it, that takes a lot of strength. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I cried like yeah. a baby. <laughs> my announcement video and then that when you wake up and you're not going to train, you're like, what is my life going to be now? That routine is taken away from you. And that's how I identified. Everyone knew me as Alex Scott, Arsenal and England player. So it's like that really like, what are you now? Who am I now? But actually I was like, no, I'm ready to discover that side of me. And you're not defined by your profession. So if I ask you right now, Alex Scott, yeah. who are you now? What are you now? What would be your answer? I would say it's really... Because in certain situations, and it's weird because people see you on TV, so when I tell people I'm actually shy, they're like, how can you be? You're on TV, you speak to millions. Where I'm actually a really shy person. I'm really chilled and laid back, but there's so many moments that I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll just be in the background, which is weird because I was a captain of a football team. But I've always enjoyed, and I think that's what made me a leader and a captain, of giving platforms for other people to be the voice and feeling like they are valued in life. And in so many ways, like your job is still giving a voice. I always think as a mm -hmm. broadcast, you're, you're handing the microphone over to other people. Yeah. Anything, you're uplifting their story. Those are the moments that like, look at a big smile that bring me to life, yeah. seeing joy in other people and in moments. And that's why, I don't know, I'm lucky to do what I do, but that's, they're the moments that I live for. Well, you brought... A huge amount of joy to us today. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I have one more question to ask you. Go on. And it is, if you had to choose one of the five books that you brought today as your favourite, oh. which would it be and why? I have to say Untamed. Okay. Like, just Glennon, and if you even listen to her podcast and her other stuff, she's just an incredible woman. How she articulates that so real and that you just, you're mind-blown by everything she says. She's just... A powerful, powerful woman, yeah, to have that skill, to have that impact on other people. Well, can we hear it for Alex Scott, live from the Women's Prize thank Live you. Festival. <laughs> Honestly, thank you so much for joining us. Like, we've, we have spoken so many times, yeah. and there was a lot of stuff that I did not know about you until I read the book, and I was so excited to get to actually discuss a lot of this stuff that doesn't come up when you meet at a party yeah. or whatever <laughs> over a drink. So honestly, thank you for being so honest and so open with us. I'm Vic Hope. You have been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast live from Bedford Square. The Women's Prize for Fiction podcast is brought to you by Bailey's and produced by Birdline Media. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Vic. Thank, thank you, you so much. <laughs>